Tonight we're going to do our format a little different. Uh, I'm going to teach till 7.30, and then uh, we'll have a time uh, for prayer and a little different approach, or not approach, but just opportunity. Uh, we'll have worship continuing. Greg will come back up. We'll continue to have uh, the, the lyrics projected. You'll have an opportunity to just pray where you're at, or you can come up with elders and myself. We'll be off to the side, and we'll... We'll pray for those who would like specific uh, prayer, for healing, for uh, specific needs, and that kind of thing. And so the beautiful thing about prayer, and even praying for specific things, is not one of us can do a single thing in regards to power or persuasion. We, we can't you know, cast out the enemy. We can't bring about physical healing. God does that. He does that for his glory. And so he does it in a way that we get to participate in it many times. It's something that's just it's beautiful. And we're going to look at, first off tonight, we're going to look at, um, so I think, some fundamentals, uh, some essentials for effective prayer. Prayer, in its most basic um, definition or description, is conversation with God. Um, people pray the Pharisees and their followers, we read in the scripture, they prayed. Uh, John the Baptist prayed. Jesus prayed. You know, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, teach us. Isn't that interesting? That his disciples had that um, connection with them, and, and Jesus carried himself in such a way that they had no problem saying, could you teach us to pray? Could you teach us? Because they had seen something different. They had seen literally what we could say, a more of a legalistic approach. And so as his disciples approached him and said, teach us to pray, you know, it's the role of the master to teach the student, the disciples, the ways of the master. You know, those who follow him, he will teach. And it's the role of the disciple to learn and apply the ways of the master. So as we look, he said, they taught, he said, could you teach us to pray? And we're going to look a little bit at that. But before we do, we are going to pray because it's so important. We, we remember and realize that we pray because of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to pray because you prayed before you were saved. It's in when you pray and petition God, he brings you to the knowledge of your need for a savior. He's always going to do that. He's not going to say, well, I like talking to you, but I won't see you for eternity. He, he'd be like, I like talking to you, but there's something we need to deal with. With your salvation, with this gift of life I offer to you, this hope that comes through the work of, that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to fulfill the will of the Father. So let's pray right now. God, as we approach your word, as we long for your touch in our lives, every single one of us here, is in need of your help. You know the cry of our souls. You know the depth of, of our, our aching and our yearning. You know our individual needs. You know specifically and, and, and perfectly everything about us. And so we come before you humbly, God. We come in the name of Jesus, knowing that you, God, have given us life through Jesus Christ as you have brought us to an understanding that we need forgiveness, as you have revealed the truth individually to us, you've made known that we need forgiveness. We have sinned and we need forgiveness. 
And as you've made that knowledge known to us, you've walked us into a relationship. You've invited us to believe in you. You've even given us the faith to believe. And you brought us into this relationship with you, a born-again experience, a born-again life. And you are faithful to teach us what that life looks like, to know how to live it, to know how to stay close to you. Keep us close to you, Jesus. Even tonight, probe deep within our hearts. Break, break us free from any pattern, any perception, any ideology about healing or believing or loving, anything that would be an interference to your ways. It would be a hindrance to walking in truth. Lord, we need you to help us walk close with you to know your ways and to know you deeply and personally and intimately. And we believe, God, that you are the one that will teach us that. Religion doesn't teach us that. Men who love us really can't give us the full understanding but you, God, you will teach us. You will bring understanding. You will comfort us. When we're weary and heavy laden, you say, come to me, and you will give us rest. And so we want to start through your word. We want to have a refresher course on prayer. We want to have new revelation in our own lives on how to pray and how to stay close with you and how to walk in truth and humility we want a work of the Spirit to take place in our lives tonight that will transform us even more into your image and likeness, that we'll experience your powerful touch, your work in our lives in such a way that we'll experience joy and you'll get the glory. Thank you, God. Teach us your word. Do a work tonight. We welcome you here, God. In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, Jesus, as you can see from the handout, I've got maybe a few more notes than you do, but I wanted you to have the handout for one. Um, there's a lot we're going to cover, and it allows you to then kind of go back later and, and look in deeper. But Jesus frequently went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We know that from Mark 1.35. Um, he drew to the wilderness, withdrew and prayed. Uh, he prayed before and after taking important steps. You know, he went and prayed before he selected the disciples. That's very important to know because he got 12 screwballs. You know what I mean? They were not like get-along guys. They, at the very end, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. You know, I mean, you, you, I look at that and go, man, he, he, and he got the one. He knew who he, that's, those are the ones he wanted. He, he wanted people like you and me that struggle with our personalities and we, we, we clash and we collide, but we put him first. And so he prayed. Um, he prayed before declaring the imminent crucifixion. He'd went to pray. He prayed when he was very busy. Not even time to eat, we're told. Yet he prayed. Which, you know, in busy times, we often skip prayer. Have you noticed that? Oh, I got a lot going on. I got to start early. Which might be reminding us, I got a lot going on. I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to be on my knees with a, with a greater sense of dependency. Jesus prayed when temptation was near. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the victory of the cross was accomplished in the Garden of Gethsemane when he declared, not my will, but your will be done. And an intense prayer, an amazing time where even his own body was, was stressed to the point of sweating drops of blood. He modeled and instructed group prayer. Um, Jesus died praying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. 
When Jesus' disciples noticed his prayer life, you can, I'll just read it. You have it on your handout from Luke 11, verse 1. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I, I think it wasn't that they just seen a pattern or a particular practice. There was something special about Jesus' prayer life. I believe that as they observed him, you know, um, it, his life was, his prayer life was so, was so genuine and so personal and so powerful. I imagine that when he returned from prayer time, he was noticeably refreshed. He was, uh, in a sense, uh, um, you know, just joyfully focused. You know, not like he wasn't focused before, but there's just that refreshing, even energized. I, I only suspect that because most of us have experienced that. When we've had a time just set apart, a time with an element of solitude and surrender and humility where we're just before the Lord, there's something phenomenal. It's unexplainable. Adrenaline can't do that. You know, protein pill, don't do that. You know, even, even coffee. I know some of you, that's hard. But coffee can't even do that. There's something there, man. It's so amazing. So let's look at Jesus' teaching on prayer um, in, in Matthew 6. It was very revolutionary. He contrasts this whole message, but even this part we'll look at tonight, with, uh, you've seen it like this, I say it should be like this. You've observed those who represent me, or are supposed to, and, and they, he would say quite honestly, they, don't, they haven't represented the Father well. They've presented this, but it's more like this. This is how it should be. You've heard it said, but I say this is how it should be. And that, and that, in a sense, is how he presents the Sermon on the Mount. So tonight, as we look at Matthew 6, the model prayer, it's, it's more for review than in-depth exposition. You can dig in on your own. But we find in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, Jesus' teaching, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to be pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men assuredly i say to you they have their reward but you when you pray go into your room and when you have shut your door pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly and when you pray do not use vain repetition as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, let's go back once again and cut the context now. Let's look at it beginning in verse 5. He says, don't be like this. Hypocrites were pretenders. They, they Don't be opposers, kind of what it was. They, were, they knew, I believe, they knew they were fraudulent. 
I, they knew they were putting up a facade, which is just a false front, so to speak, to make it look like it's something that it actually is not. He says, don't be like that. The motive of a, of a pretender or a hypocrite is to be seen by men as something that they are not. They wanted to be seen as what? More spiritual. They wanted to be seen as somebody who has a connection with the living God. And so they pretended that that's, that's what that they wanted to be known as that. Um, they had a method as well. You know, they would place themselves where others see or notice them on the, on the, in the synagogue, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And that's why Jesus is saying, listen, it's this personal, private, intimate prayer in your prayer closet. It's not the geographic positioning. We understand that, correct? It's not like this place is better than this. It's the, it's the, it's the motive, if you would. If, if we place ourselves where well, people will see and notice that we're praying in such a flowery King James Version or whatever, and they go, oh, man, he's so spiritual. We've got a reward, the compliments and all that. But he's saying, listen, it's between you and me, not them. He, he, he's just teaching them, hey, just keep it personal, because I believe that's where it all begins. Your, your public prayer is most often an expression of your personal prayer. Because you shouldn't change it, correct? There's elements that will change because of the gathering and and different factors. But who you are privately before God is who you are before God. And so we want that to be consistent. We want to understand what Jesus is teaching. He's contrasting. Don't pray for display. Pray because you know God. And that's what he's given them. Because it was really unusual for a Jew you know, for the Jews, when he says, but you, verse 6, when you pray, go to your room. When you shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. Jews didn't even say the father's name. They considered that an ex, uh, expression of reverence, and they actually considered to say his name was borderline blasphemy because you're a sinful person. A sinful person can't even think that they could speak the name of the holy and living God. And Jesus is teaching a very revolutionary, world-changing thing, seriously. He's saying, you can come boldly into the throne of grace to find mercy and help in your time of need. You can come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. He's, he's, he's teaching these things that are so foreign to them. And he's just presenting, you know, um, that they can approach God in a very personal way, a very direct way, speaking to the Father, you know, privately, away from distractions. I, do you have a prayer closet, anybody? I mean, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, do you, you have that private place? Because sometimes it's like driving to work, right? For some people, that's really quiet or private. Sometimes you can get there early, and, you know, especially once we have a time change, it'll be dark or whatever. And you, you know, well, I guess it's going to be worse because you're changing the other way. Nonetheless, you get my point. My mind sometimes is just walking. You don't have to be sedentary and locked down. You might find yourself, you just kind of, you know, just where you, you, you can consciously be aware of his presence and, and you can have that sense of you know, um, engagement with him. And, and he's just saying, listen, you just, you, when you pray, go to your room. You didn't say if, did he? Started out, he's not, he doesn't say if anywhere because people will pray. People will, we're going to pray. We're going to pray in crisis. We're going to pray sometimes in good times. When we have the, the closer our relationship, the deeper the intimacy with Jesus, the more frequent the prayer. Because you're aware, more and more, he's always with you. 
You've weathered the storm and he carried you through a hard time and then you went into the comfortable time with a little better finances and a little more comfort and, and, and maybe he didn't speak as much and then things changed and there was relational stress and you see the faithfulness and the consistency of God, you come into conversation more frequently when you know his character more deeply. And so the next thing you know, we're just praying, as it says, without ceasing. We're constantly aware of his presence. Now, he's saying that when you pray, this, this pattern, don't we, it's not to be impersonal. It's not to be heady without a heart. When you pray, you don't use vain repetitions. You know, prayer methods are used by people to replace transparent personal conversation. It's easier to buy a card and sign your name than it is to write a card personal. Is that not true? But what have you always found when you buy a card, you spend a while finding one, and then you're like, it, okay, that, I, I like that. It conveys, if you're mathematical, it's 30%. It doesn't convey 100%. So what do you do? You go on the other side, and you write a personalized part to it. So I, I think of sometimes these these packaged prayers are just like mailing a card that, that's mass-produced. And he's saying, don't be repetitious. You have a personal relationship. What if we were that way with people? Imagine if someone spoke to you in a vain, just a repetitive manner, the same way, every time. You'd be like, I'm not a machine. I'm not, you know, imagine if a husband and wife had that type of conversation. How weird would that be? I think, you know, it's just, and so you see the simplicity don't use vain repetition. Don't, don't trying to find a method. You know, it's the context that they think they will be heard for their many words. We're going to pray for healing here in a little while, and, and it's not because some one person has the power. It's not because one person prays longer or one is more flowery or somebody else has the gift of persuasion to move a reluctant God to do a generous thing. It's not it at all. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about what God would do. It's all about, you know, just, Lord, we just long to see your touch. And that's intimate. That's personal. It doesn't take a lot of words. And nor should it be so succinct or sort of such brevity that you, you don't even engage in a personal way. Let's move on to verse 8. Do not be like them. He's not criticizing them in a sense. He's like, listen, you've seen it done this way. Mark that down as one way not to do it. Do it this way. Be like this, you know. Um, For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. That sparks a question in many of our minds. If he already knows my needs, why do I have to ask? He already knows. Why do I need to pray to God when he knows what I need? Why can't I just buy my groceries, pray while they're in the basket, and be done with it until I go back to the store. I pray for all my food. One time, I'm done. Well, well just think about some of our thoughts. Why don't you just, you know, just, just do it, God? You're gonna, you know what to do. It, 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 prayer is not one of those things that we, we do, in a sense, you know, um, to get something. Prayer helps you get to know God, not just get something from God. And so prayer is that conversation, and it's through conversation, through genuine conversation, that we really get to know each other. I think many of you have had the prayers like I've had. I had a dear friend pass away. I I couldn't figure out how it happened. We did everything right. Kevin had a traumatic brain injury from a construction accident. 
His wife was pregnant, Lauren, and we, we, we did everything right. We prayed around the clock. We scheduled time to be in, you know, the, in the, at, the church, or, I mean, at the hospital. We didn't miss a second. We overlapped. We covered every shift. We did everything the way you're supposed to do it according to the thinking of man. And we didn't know what to do. We're just going to do it. And I'd do it the same way again. But he passed from this life into eternity before his wife had a child. And I drove up Bogus Basin Road and I cried. I yelled out to God, not in a defiant way, but God, I hate sin. I was shocked at my wisdom in the midst of my sorrow because it wasn't self-generated. I declared with very vocally, I hate sin. I didn't realize that was, that's what I was mad at because it's through sin that death entered the world. And I started realizing, man, this is, this is not the end. And, but yet there was that cry, I cry and I didn't, I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel like I, I was irreverent. It's almost like God directed. Yes, there's these expressions of concern and confusion and, and disappointment and discouragement, but I still go to the living God. I still say, God, I, I still, I've got nowhere else to go. I'm still looking to you. So this intimacy comes from we just, you know, when he says, you know, you, 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 you go to the Father. He knows the needs. There, but you, I still ask. I still ask. I'm a kid before the eyes of the eternal God. I'm a child. And I got some pretty childish requests, and he knows them. And I'll probably continue to present them because that's what we're to come. With a childlike faith. Not childish. That's different. But a childlike faith. Verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray. This is not the Lord's Prayer, if some have thought of it. It's more of a pattern, a manner, if you would. Our Father speaks of family, a personal relationship. The emphasis is upon the relationship. A personal, endearing prayer, which was shocking for a Jew to speak personally to God, because his name was above all other names, as I've mentioned. Your relationship with God is above and within all other relationships. And so we look at this and we go, God, you are there. Hallowed be your name. Literally uh, holy, separate, elevated above profane things, above anything else. Let's not be so friendly with God that we're irreverent before God. We should always be in awe of God, awe of his grace, awe of his, his loving kindness, awe of his faithfulness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we see the petition, the request there. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Your will be done. John the Baptist said, you know, basically prayed that God would increase and he would decrease. JTB would. What pleases you, Lord, that's what we wanted to do. To be, we, wanted that to, we want to see that. In verse 11, after lordship, in reverent regard of the relationship, come requests. He knows our needs and meets them in a way that keeps us on our knees. Have you noticed that? He does it in such a fashion that you know it's his presence and he's faithful. The Proverbs say, Lord, could you provide to me in the perfect manner? Not with such abundance that I would wander away and, and not have a dependence upon you. And not such, with such minimal amount that I would steal and defame your name. But the perfect man, you know my, you know my needs perfectly. And so we know that he does that. He provides the daily needs. Always remind yourself, God formed me. I did not form myself. I need him. 
I need him. That the human mind, through patterns and repetition and, and consistency and the faithfulness of God, then somehow thinks that consistency will always continue. It will always be the same. And so God does allow disruption, and there's some things that do take place that we realize, okay, no. I am always dependent upon you. Verse 12, notice he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, I've been chewing on this for years and still kind of processing it. To consider the relational dynamic, uh, our relational debt, so to speak. Because I don't believe God is making the issue about money. We know that. But there are debts that we have to be willing to forgive and, and willing to, to deal with and, and offenses and things that have done wrong. You know? He goes on to say in verse 13, you know, functionally guard us from wandering. It's as if to say, bring upon me only the trials that will keep me close to you. Keep me away from the devil, for your kingdom is the kingdom I desire, as you see in your notes. Moving on to verse 14 and 15, which is after amen. A request, so be it, Lord inviting the, what was said to be, you know, kind of really experienced, but this reality of the need for forgiveness, because it's not a condition, if you forgive, then it's more of a verification. Does that make sense? So because you've been forgiven, and the living God indwells you, you have the capacity to forgive others, and you actually have the heart to forgive others. It's one thing to have the instruction, but to have the experience of being forgiven and the, and the capacity by the presence of the living God to forgive, you, you honestly, when someone says, I can't forgive someone, it's like, I just ask you to just get closer to Jesus because he's forgiven you. And those things which are harsh and hard, and, and I stand before you knowing that some people have been horribly treated in ways you can't imagine, nor do you want to ponder how, what terrible things have happened to them by another human being. But when we don't take hold of this forgiveness that's been given to us and we don't extend it, it, may, it tears us up even more. It tears up the person who won't forgive far more than that person that did the atrocity in the first place. It just eats you. And that's why Jesus instructs us to forgive. One of the reasons, of course. Now, I'm going to cover four things. You have them on your handout. We'll bring some projection up so you can see them. Hindrances to prayer. This is not to be all-inclusive, but it, it, it certainly is uh, something to consider. In Proverbs 28.9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, I could, I could go with even his prayer is put on hold. Even his petition is filed to be dealt with later. But it doesn't say that. One who will not obey when God is instructing them, even his prayer is an abomination. And it means it's abhorrent, something disgusting. It's a pretty strong word in the Old Testament. And it's to remind us that when God instructs us and leads us and teaches us, he, he empowers us to obey him. And when we say, I don't want to, and then we ask for something else, he's like, uh, no, we're going to talk about this. You, put, you fill in the blanks with your own grasp and understanding on training kids. And if that was to unfold with kids, when they say, I ain't going to do it, but I want this. I was like, hmm. yeah, we're going to talk. Hindrance to prayer, disobedience, pride, or self-focus. You think of it specifically in marriages. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers 
may not be hindered. Did you catch that? Guys, there are some guys, your prayers are hindered because you're a jerk to your wife in the privacy of your home. Oh, you're a sweet guy on the, pri- on the public side, but at home, you're a jerk. And God's like, listen, don't treat my daughter like that way. I'll own you. You might say it a little differently, but you see what I'm saying? The prayers are literally, I know this. I've experienced it, and, and I, I've, I've met with many men. And, and when, they're, when, they're, when they are not in sync, when they're not humble, their prayers are hindered. Because they're not fulfilling what God empowered them to do in the role of the husband in the home. Moving also to number three, um, hindrance to prayer, apathy. Or not taking it serious. In Mark 9, 29, a father comes to, his, to Jesus to have his son healed. He is the father who says so beautifully for you and I to remember, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and so this son is healed. The, the, the apostles are impressed and kind of wonder, well, how come we couldn't do anything? He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So he puts the emphasis on the communication, on the relationship. We know also in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, taking it seriously, having a sense of sobriety when we, when we approach prayer. The fourth thing that can definitely be a hindrance in prayer is when we're weak in faith. And what I mean there is a faith that is not fully realized. The book of James tells us that we're, there should be an expression of our faith. The word works is described. It's like there's a, a faith, and then there should be an action related to it. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in God. It's not, it's not something that we, we muster up and, and try to make, but it's something we express. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the faith we have is the faith in the living God. We may have a a glimpse of who he is now, but when we realize how he is, we pray with love and hope, agreed? I read the Bible, started reading the Bible, but it's when I realized those truths in my life and would experience them, and I've seen the faithfulness of God, and you knew the love of God, then that's when you really started to go, man, I long for a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding. So for prayer. Prayer, we know from the Bible, we know from just society, but more specifically the Bible, it's public at times, it's personal at times. It's national, we know frequently, we see of Israel. We know it's local. We know there's petitions for provision. We know that we're taught to pray for protection. We're, we're taught to seek God and, and, and go before God, converse with God in regards to wisdom and knowledge and understanding. To seek him for health for healing at times, for, for hope, for comfort. As you can look there in Philippians 4, where we're told, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we are to bring everything to the Lord with thanksgiving with gratitude, with thankfulness. Even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, we come before him. So how do we pray? What are the, what are the methods? Well, there's many. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray quietly. Uh, sometimes you don't know what to say, so the Spirit intercedes with groanings, we're told in, in Romans. And so uh, we pray quietly. We pray audibly. 
We pray in prayer groups. We pray in prayer closets. If you look at James 5.13, and this is our pivot point for, for you know, from me teaching, and then we're going to go into actual uh, petitioning God specifically. But in James 5, beginning in verse 13, there's this question presented. Is, is anyone among you suffering? We, we could actually say yes. Every one of you could say yes. Not that you're necessarily the one suffering the most, but you know what's happening in this world, and they're suffering. And there's also personal things, emotional things. There's things that are residual. That now that you're born again, you're now processing and figuring out how to work through. Um, if someone's suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. What a contrast, isn't it? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. So anointing is not a method that opens up um, some healing process. And uh, the anointing oil is representative, I believe, of the Holy Spirit, of the work of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. The laying on of hands and the gathering together is an element of faith. But it's also an expression of unity. We believe, God, you to be the one to heal. So when we gather and we put hands on one another and we we anoint with oil, we're just following what they did at the early church. It's not that this method is is the thing that brings about the healing. It's the faith and and the relationship with the living God that we're looking to him. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And it goes on to tell us about Elijah, who was just an average guy who did an amazing thing. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then he prayed that it did. And that was over a several-year period. And that's why it's inserted as as an example to you and I to just pray by faith. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring the lights down. Greg's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in worship. And then the worship helps us as we're sitting and just, you know, really uh, with this prayerful mindset, aware of God's presence, that we're continuing to, to really just worship him. Uh, it helps you, I think, this is my own opinion, it helps us to, to keep from wandering too much or, you know, kind of just, it just reminds us to be mindful of him, worshiping him. You can pray right where you are. Uh, you can pray with someone. You can pray for someone. Uh, you can be quiet, but as we've seen from James, you can ask prayer from the, from the servant leaders of the church. So we'll be over here, um, and we just, I would just ask that if, if you want to come over for prayer, then just step over there. We'll lay hands on you. We'll, only, we'll just let you convey to us you know, what you feel is relevant, and, and then we'll just pray for you. But I just ask you, please don't leave, and, and please, when you have doubt and, and you have these things wandering through your mind, just pray the prayer that, Father, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see your work. We all want to see his power. We want to know his healing touch. We want him to be glorified in our lives, in our community. We want people to know his power and long for that personal relationship and, and however he would accomplish that tonight. So let's, uh, let's pray. And then we'll just go right into worship. Does it make sense? As I say, you want to pray, move over here. I'll be over there. Kim will be over here. The other elders, the elders will be over here. We'd love to pray for you on any specific thing. And then the rest of us just keep with that attitude of prayer until um, almost, it'll be about 10 till. So we have about 25, 20 minutes, give or take. So God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your presence in our lives and the forgiveness you've given us. We can approach you because of your great grace because of what you've done. 
because you have taken our sin upon yourself. You have borne the weight of sin. You've endured the cross. You've rose from the dead. You've bodily ascended, conquering death and hell. It's your victory that we hold on to. And tonight, I pray for added measure of faith where that's needed, God. We pray for unity. We pray for worship. We want to worship you while we seek you. We know, God, that there's even people listening online. There's people that are not here physically. Some just cannot be here. And we lift them to you first, Lord. That you, God, would minister to their very soul. That you would bring your healing upon their lives in such a way that they would be drawn closer to you. First and foremost, that their relationship with you would be bolstered would be strengthened. And may from that relationship there be even light emanating forth into to people around them, family members, friends, healthcare, medical personnel, whoever it may be. Do that sweet work in their lives, God, for your glory, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We look to you, O oh God. We sing these songs to you. We worship you tonight. Oh Lord, Teach us to pray in your sweet name. Amen.